0: Welcome to Working Dog Radio,
1: broadcasting the bite.
2: This episode of Working Dog Radio is brought to you in part by the best training conference on the planet, HITS K9 training and conference, www.hitsk9.net or call Jeff Barrett, 863-529-5113. We'll see you there.
0: One of our other great sponsors, be sure to check them out. Ray Allen Manufacturing up in Colorado Springs, rayallen.com. Be sure to use the discount code WORKINGDOGRADIO for 10% off. Spell it out, get
2: the discount. Everyone knows Ted and I are huge fans of Dogtra. Uh, We use all their products, lots of stuff. Dogtra.com, use the discount code WDR10 for 10% off a single item over $200.
0: All right, everybody loves drag and drop the easiest way possible. The easiest way to get a kennel up and running is to get them from Horizon Structures. Go to horizonstructures.com or call 1-888-447-4337. Make sure you tell them that Working Dog Radio sent you.
2: you One of our newest sponsors and one of our favorites, Kinetic Dog Food. KineticDogFood.com or call 512-279-8966. Get your dog on the right track.
0: One of our other fantastic sponsors that are run by the Heiser, some of the best people in the industry. We love those guys. Uh, Looking for a reputable canine kennel with dog sales and training services. They're located in sunny New Smyrna, Florida. Southern coast canine provides services worldwide from purchasing your next single or dual purpose working dog, The Handler Courses Seminars, Southern Coast is a great resource, so check them out. And where you can check them out is Southern Coast Canine. That's letter K, number nine, dot com, or give them a call,
2: 877-903-DOGS. That's dogs. We get asked all the time what happens to all the working dogs once they retire. If the dogs are lucky, they get to retire with their handler. Sometimes those dogs are expensive in their retirement due to health issues sustained from injuries on the job or old age in general. That's a heavy burden for a lot of the handlers. Enter organizations like the Georgia Police Canine Foundation. These f- great folks assist law enforcement agencies with life-saving supplies and equipment for our canine officers and help provide assistance for them in their retirement. It can be hard finding an organization with dogs' best interests at heart, but we strongly encourage you to check out Georgia Police Canine Foundation. Great people doing great work. All right,
0: we are back. Working Dog Radio, broadcasting the bite with me as always. I'm Ted Summers, by the way, and with me as always is Eric from uh, Canton, Ohio. Eric, what's going on?
2: Um, pouring down rain. Uh, <laughs> I guess rushing around to get this done, you know, get done with the kennel before I came to get on here and uh, pouring down rain. And one of the uh, pointer puppies that I have was, out. I'm trying to get him to, Go to the bathroom before we go in the kennel, and he, there was a lightning like flash, dude. It, he just, almost lost it. I mean, if he <laughs> if he wasn't on a leash, he'd have been Gandhi. I never would have got him back. Um, <laughs> uh, so, got some things to work with. I, I know he must not have ever, seen a lightning strike that was, <laughs> real close. I, in all fairness, I jumped about eight feet. Um, I've had an interesting. 24 hours myself, I, uh, so, but in, in my building, you know, we we do training for dogs, and I have SWAT teams do training, things like that, and I've had a SWAT team up there since Friday, using it as a command post for them, or staging area, or whatever, for the protests that are going on here in Canton, and um, hanging out, because my place has got uh, Wi-Fi and Netflix, and everybody's chilling out, and bathrooms in the kitchen and all kinds of shit and um they have a handler school or a handler school basic SWAT school going on and they're uh in their training yesterday for a while before they got activated. So I was hanging out with them and you know, keeping keeping distance, probably not six feet, but hanging out, uh not touching anybody or anything like that, but in the building all over the place. And um I get home about uh, about now. About this time yesterday and they, I get a message that two of the guys tested positive for COVID. Like, they weren't feeling good. We took them over to the hospital. Boom. COVID. Oh. So, I'm freaking <laughs> out. Man, nice. I'm freaking out. But I went this morning to the doctor, my doctor, and got tested and tested negative. Um, I'd been around him for five days. So, uh, it worked pretty good. They said the test they gave me is, they said, watch for symptoms, but you're negative. Their test shows I was not exposed to it. So should be good.
0: Yeah, my yeah, I we have not. The our facility is not open to the public. I don't let people on. <laughs> so it's just my guys and us and the dogs, so I'm I haven't done a lot of the public. So I've been not uh licking doorknobs and washing my hands too, so um as far as I know, I'm negative, but I don't have any reason to believe otherwise, so um yeah, it's been it's been a wild uh seventy two hours, so that's for sure. As everyone knows, we got the COVID going on and then we got the uh protesting stuff going on, which, you know, that's I guess all we're gonna talk about. Um that side of it. But yeah, so it's been an interesting seventy two hours to say the least. My guys uh all showed up on Tuesday night uh, at our normal in service. Um several of them are on SWAT teams and they showed up damn near in full in full kit and they were on a uh, standby, um, standby for other neighboring agencies. And it was a weird, um, it was a weird night. I mean, I've been doing that for years. Right. And you know, we were all fucking around and doing our normal stuff and doing our scenarios, but it was definitely had a weird feeling. Um, it's definitely interesting to say the least. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's a crazy time. So With that, uh, this is episode uh, 99. Um, The guest that we have on today, uh, we tried to nail down a while back and he had other stuff going on, uh, which you'll hear about soon. But, um, you know, we followed this dude on Instagram for years, Um, always had awesome posts, uh, very relevant and topical posts about medical stuff for canine. Um, So, with us is um, Evan. Um, Evan, how are you doing?
1: I'm pretty good, gentlemen. How are you? Well, I heard how you guys were doing. Um, glad that you. Neither one of you have coronavirus. It's always a positive.
0: Not as glad yeah. as I am. <laughs> yeah.
1: I may have had coronavirus. I helped pick up a dog team that came back from Asia. I think the day before it was declared a pandemic. <laughs> and then I felt pretty Fuck. bad for about a week. I just stayed home. Um, so I may. I may have had it. It wasn't that bad for 30 three-year-old, somewhat healthy dude, but yeah, other than that, have been pretty busy at work.
0: And so for work, uh, what is work, speaking of?
1: So I've had a very, a very interesting Army career. Um, well, just a lot of places that you probably wouldn't, I didn't expect to end up, but I ended up providing a lot of direct medical support to... Uh, military working dog teams, and then for the last about seven, seven, eight years to uh, direct support to special operations dog teams. Uh, I was a human medic before that. I just a vanilla medic, um, or we call them vanilla medics. I wasn't a special forces medic or a special operations combat medic. Uh, so I treated some people at the start of my career and then tried to move, or, move over to the dogs because uh, I, I personally like dogs better. I think we probably all do. Yeah, I'm uh, sure. And as a result of that, I just—I um, think one of the things is too is you know I'm a relatively large dude, so I just kind of could keep up, and uh, I've ended up getting a lot of point of injury experience with working dogs that way, um, which kind of uh, I think you noticed know, kind of a trend of it becoming more popular, which is a good thing, um, but not always. If you know you could you can make stuff up that isn't necessarily helpful. Uh, for dudes or for people to try when they're when they're handling a dog,
2: <laughs> you don't want to wing it.
1: No. Yeah, I mean, no. I, I kind of base my whole life on winging it, but yeah, I mean, <laughs> at least happens. when oh, I have give you a weird suggestion, it's because I've tried it and worked it before. Not to say that every you know that's one of the things about dogs too. You know, treating both human soldiers and canine ones is a lot of the times dogs are so tough they they get better regardless of what we do, I can feel pretty good about myself. That dog might've been fine, uh, without my help. And so if you follow some of the other, some of the other, um, helpful kind of canine medical pages and groups like the veterinary tactical group, uh, is one I'm a big fan of, you know, they, they do a lot of, a lot of their stuff is all, uh, evidence-based or practice-based. they've done it before. So, um, Sorry. my uh, So I also have six TBIs, and I will frequently forget what I'm saying mid-sentence. And so that's what just happened. Oh. <laughs> um, yeah, so I'm actually in the process of being medically retired um, as a result of being in a lot of those places that you probably wouldn't uh, expect to find um, you know, a direct kind of veterinary medical asset. Uh, so I sustained some blast injuries as a result, I also play rugby, which isn't good for your brain, as it turns out long-term. Uh, no. And I'm actually, you know, I, I never really claimed to be a trainer, or uh, I have certified as a handler, but I'm not a handler. Um, but I'm pretty good at, at muzzle fighting, being a bad guy. I think it's because I'm too stupid to know that I should be nervous about that muzzle coming off. Uh, but we had one of the dogs dislocated my jaw just last November and um, gave me another... What they call TBI So pretty much any head there. trauma that Yeah. I think everybody working with working dogs has Yeah. I had, a, I had a
0: dog knock my crown off with a muzzle on. So Oh <laughs> nice. Just, yeah, that was fun. And yeah. I didn't swallow it though, so I'm stoked. I was I was happy about that. But uh
2: That's what she said. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's never I, not funny. I
0: set that one up and I and I was like, Eric's gonna say it <laughs> <laughs> for sure.
1: I almost said that in front of a new commander the other day, uh, but a good cover is that's good cheese bread. So when I said that's, I switched it good cheese bread. <laughs> just because you didn't I, I didn't know how he might take that joke.
0: Yeah. so uh, in in the uh, in the army in the career uh, in the pipeline that you chose, um, at what point did you switch over to uh, – how did, how did you become involved in the, the, the dog aspect of it? Aside from dogs are way cooler to work on than people. but um.
1: Yeah. So they have uh, – most people or many people are probably familiar with the Army MOS system. So every MOS has kind of a two-digit number followed by a letter. And the numbers kind of indicate your, your branch. So I'm a 68 series, a 68 Whiskey's, Human Medic, and a 68 Tango's an army term is called an animal care specialist. Uh, a lot of the times you just routinely referred to as a vet tech. Uh, I'm, I generally don't take that uh, title because those people, a lot of licensed veterinary technicians went to school for two years and they know how to do stuff to cats and other animals and 15 pound dogs that I, you know, my, my veterinary experience is pretty limited to like 50 to 80 pound shepherds. So uh, but the army is actually the only the only branch with veterinary medical support. So the air force, being the executive branch for the dog program, with Flackland, the army uh, took took the medical support. Not sure why they did it that way, but it's uh, they left it that way. So I I switched over, and then I uh, more or less my motivation for when I tried to get selected for a special operations position was. I just wanted to have more more direct interaction with the dog teams. Um, you know, they have field medical units. You know, I spent the first few years of my army life in a four-liter a, a four-liter four little ambulance, a ground ambulance company. That was actually when I, a famous story that guys like when I tell is when I convinced the cadet to put a cough drop in his ass because he wasn't. <laughs> oh, he, this hey guy that. asked me for. We were, as a medic there at this range, we were just supposed to hand out, basically, flu packs to all these cadets, and uh, he came up and asked for a cough drop, and I was like, I don't have any cough drops, man, I just have a cough lozenge. I least they didn't want a cough lozenge, so I said, uh, you know, I saw an opportunity to be like, like, why why don't you want a lozenge? I don't know what that is. Like, well, it's kind of like a cough drop, but it's a rectal suppository, to which he was like, no, I'm not doing that, man, that sounds... (laughs) I was like, no, cheer me out. There's there's way more capillaries in there. The greater surface area. It's a faster route of administration. Longer duration of action. I guarantee you won't cough for three days. Um, turns out they were so they were mentholated cough lozenges. And so the next morning I came back and there was a lieutenant colonel yelling, which medic told one of his cadets to shove a cough drop of his ass? Because he did. And um, it got stuck, and I think it was uncomfortable. It was menthol, so he had to go get it removed at the army hospital, which is never not embarrassing. So if anybody meets probably a field grade officer at this point, that really doesn't like cough drops. I I think I may have come across him once before. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I did that, awesome. and then um, yeah, and then I just wanted to. I called. Um, I called whoever I could really, I called the, like the branch manager who kind of picks assignments and said, like, Hey, I want to try to do this. And they sent me out to Virginia, um, which is where I met like Joshua Morton because he was a handler at Virginia beach at the time. And I got to work with those dudes and it was a lot of fun, um, getting to see training and learning a lot and also getting to be there when stuff happened to the dogs instead of just kind of receiving them at an aid station or you know a hospital. Uh, and then from there, I ended up, volu- I, honestly, I just volunteered for pretty much every opportunity I could get. Just, you know, I was 10 years lo- younger and really wanted to, really liked working dogs. Um, I have to be honest, not, no offense to you guys, because I, I like to be pretty self-aware. Um, I could never be a police officer. There's no way I'm patient enough with people. <laughs> um, but, you know, like when I first joined, I, wanted, I was like, okay, I want to be a dog handler. Well, you have to be an MP, and at the time you had to you know you had to do a certain amount of MP time before you were eligible to pick up a leash. And my response to that was, I do not want to be an MP. Uh, so then, kind of bamboozled me into medics, I think, because I needed them, and then switched over, ended up getting over to the veterinary stuff, which
2: was cool. Did they st- um, still is? Yeah. Did they have you mess with horses too? Oh man, that's
1: uh, I get made fun of a lot because I've never ridden a horse—not one time. Um, my wife actually is an avid horse rider, and I've still managed to not get on a horse. And I'll take the meanest working dog over a horse any day, just because if I was a Same. horse and someone tried to jump on my back, I'd be like hey man, I'm two thousand pounds, get off my back. So I just uh, people tell me they're like big dogs, but that's a lot. That's a really big dog.
0: I, I don't no. trust them. My thing with horses, or my thing with dogs and horses is, like, I, I'm with you. I'll, I'll handle the gnarliest fucking patrol dog that you've ever seen, right? Like, and I'll be fine with it. But horses sketch me out, man. An animal that big shouldn't oh, yeah. be scared of anything, and they are terrified of everything. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, they always like, manage know, to dog- hurt themselves in fantastic ways. <laughs> yeah.
1: And, like, if a dog comes up the leash, worst case scenario, you've got some holes, maybe a broken bone maybe but a horse could just get scared kick you in the forehead and it's lights out forever so yeah that's why i'm more scared of horses but people people generally find that amusing
0: <laughs> no i ain't fucking horses yeah. no, no. That ain't happening good one of our oh, one of our other podcast people in our kendall show st working back down and uh, Texas, but she's also a horse person. And she's like, I don't understand why you're scared of horses. I'm like, uh, so how many times you've been hurt by a horse? And she's like, yeah, I guess that's not you mentioned it. Like, yeah, <laughs> that's the yeah. other thing too. Like, uh, our buddy Nick white is always doing, which is where he's always <laughs> swimming with sharks or playing with tigers or something stupid. And he's always posting it online. I'm like, this, this is how you're going to die. I mean, you're going to die petting something you shouldn't like just, yeah. no, <laughs> leave it alone. Just rolling the, and, rolling the dice yeah no not me I'm out I'll deal with dogs they yeah. get bit for a living I don't not, I'm <laughs> nope Yeah. today
1: so I guess you know it's kind of funny that everything's relative you talk to some of the you know, large animal veterinarian they're like how do you deal with these dogs like, I don't know it's just you know you just do I guess and then she's like oh I've been kicked in the ribs eight times I don't have a all of my ribs have been broken You're like, how do you deal with that and to them that's just totally normal like, yeah these horses kick me every once in a while but it's just part of the job <laughs> Uh, no, I'm out. Yeah, no, hard pass. Hard pass on horses. In my MOS, it is kind of luck of the draw. I got lucky in, I mean, I was chosen. I was picked. So I earned that to a certain extent, but there was a certain amount of just right time, right place. You know, I could have just as easily ended up. They have the caisson platoon still, with you know, largely ceremonial, but um, I've got horse stables at D.C., uh, which would be interesting actually with all the protests. I wonder what they did with the the horses. But they, they have like a, a version of me living in the stables in Washington, D.C., and, and their job is to take care of those caisson horses, which that, that sounds like a pretty cool job. But uh, I mean, I'll stick with the asshole dogs personally. Those dogs poop a lot smaller. A, a lot. Smaller oh, yeah. You
2: know? Oh, yeah, there's that too. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes yeah, they yeah. eat
1: it for you as well. So mm. it's always a plus. So Sometimes.
2: let's get jump into the medical stuff a little bit. Um, yeah. When, uh, when we had uh, Janice from uh, veterinary tactical group on one of the things that people liked the most about that episode was kind of some of the um, things that they were able to show differently that were being taught wrong during schooling for, uh, you know, veterinarians yeah. and vet techs and things like that. Um, what were some of the things that you saw right away that you were like, Hey, that's not what they taught us. Isn't true. Honestly, almost everything. But that's only because (laughs)
1: like when you're, when you're a 20 year old medic and you just got done with training and you're like, I I'm totally prepared for anything the world can throw at me. And then it does. And you suddenly, you very quickly realize like I was, I was not ready. Um, But most of the stuff because of, you know, the 20 years of conflict um, is pretty well, established, like the, the the actual human T-Tri-C guidelines. And that's a lot of what the K-9 T-Tri-C guidelines are based off of, as well as a lot of input from like Janice Baker. You know, because when I, when I first came into kind of the community of special operations K-9, I learned a lot of what, I, what made me successful from Janice and uh, my predecessors in some of those units. And so a lot of – and we do have a unique um, – try to explain it because it noticing the trend of kind of useful canine information it's getting more kind of more popular popular more it's more of a, a constant topic which is a good thing but with anything as it gains momentum you know what you probably see it with training techniques or equipment it opens up the, the opens up the potential for a lot of snake oil salesmen for lack of a better term that I don't even necessarily know that they're they're trying to cause any harm, but you know I even saw there was that infographic that went around on Instagram a couple of weeks ago that had a lot of stuff that in my in my experience was inaccurate. Uh, I still called other people to be like I don't think this sounds right, but I just want to make sure because it's not like I know you never know. Uh, like for one, for instance, said to burp uh, an occlusive dressing uh, or a chest seal. Which is something that you used to do, like on humans, you would burp it instead of doing a needle chest decompression. Um, so getting one of those to stick on a dog is a like it's super super stressful because you've got fur. You can't exp- you can't. There's no way to shave a dog at point of injury. You know, especially if you're still taking you know direct fire or whatever the case may be. It just may not be in the in an environment. You're in an environment where you need to do something, but the things that would make it perfect aren't going to happen. Uh, and the fur is a huge one. If I, I've i never done it, but I'm willing to bet if you tried to burp a chest dog, it's just not going to stick again if you got it to stick the first time. Uh, and that's just something from my own personal experience that on paper it sounds good, but in practice it just doesn't, it doesn't pan out.
0: Yeah, I was in uh, North Carolina. I was in North Carolina with the, graph- the Griffin security guys who were getting ready to do and setting some stuff up with um, trying to get an HRD there, which we're going to be doing. Um, and it's going to be a nice. little different than the normal HRDs where we're going to use SIM guns and Travis Bobo and the the, the kids there are going <clears> to <throat> be helping some of these officers get some training that they wouldn't ordinarily have access to even even with highly specialized special operations stuff as uh, for just normal canine handlers. Um, but... They said Gen- Using some Gen- munitions. Well, that and some of the drills that those guys do, like the insider deal, and um, yeah. I call it the OK corral thing, uh, which yeah, that we sounds, went through. <laughs> terrible. It sucks. Great time. <laughs> 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 I mean, I've done it. I went when I went and I did it. I was like, oh, now I get to watch somebody else do it. Uh, yeah. And then they're gonna do. A, they're gonna teach them a break contact thing, which law enforcement guys aren't taught, not even a lot of SWAT guys are. Um, but I remember specifically when I was out there. Um, the Philadelphia shooting was happening and those officers were trapped in that um, apartment building and the officers outside had to effectively break contact to keep from getting shot from the second door window so when we put that video up people were like when does a police officer ever gonna have to do that and I'm like oh, three days ago <laughs> they did yeah, and it just yeah. so happened to be coinciding but Janice and Trinity came out because they're fairly close and yeah. um, they did a And this exercise is a little contrived for law enforcement but you send the dog in um, and a muzzle and we snatch his ass in a shoot house and throw him into a, uh, throw him into a kennel on wheels and wheel the dog away. And then there's the yeah. dummy, um, after a gunshot. So they have to clear to the dog and then they have to administer a chest seal and then a needle decompression and then finish clearing the building, carrying the dog out and everything else. But, um, that deal, Trinity and, um, Janice were there <laughs> and like walking the officers through it and everything else. My job was to catch yeah. the dog. <laughs> so That's I had all these ang- the angry ass fucking muzzled dogs trying to get him into new kennel. <laughs> um, and then I got to watch the rest of it. So it was pretty cool. But um, yeah, it's an interesting, um, and, and it was the first, to be honest, it was the first time these dudes had had access to that type of training. A lot of them were like, I have no idea even how to fucking do this. And we had um, two, I think I had two like normal paramedics there, just like normal, like firefighter paramedics. And yeah. they deploy a lot with their counties or their agency SWAT teams that have dedicated dogs. And they're like, yeah, I have no idea how to take care of the dog, <laughs> like what to do, like if the dog is shot, like how, I mean, so, I mean, it was an actual, um, you know, a lot of these guys are like, wow, I never knew that it was that easy to do it, to do, you know, a chest seal yeah. and then do a needle decompression. And how fast it is and how easy. And I mean, it was cool. I mean, Janice and Trinity did a fantastic job teaching. So I was pretty stoked. So I think we're going to do that again, that portion of it again. Yeah. uh, That's actually
1: in North Carolina. Yeah. We use that scenario at work. And I think I probably stole that from them. Like, I think I saw them do it one time and I started doing it, uh, which always catches people off guard, especially when they've got like a huge dickhead dog and you throw that thing in the kennel and (laughs) wheel it out. Because they're, you know, even when we're messing with other guys, Usually the guy with the huge dickhead dog is like, well, no one's going to mess with me because no one wants to deal with my dog. Uh, but when we can get them in into that kind of thing and we, we make them disappear. It always, it's always funny seeing the kind of catch off guard. Um, yeah. And that is, because one of the other things I do is I'll, I'll help cross train with, uh, you know, like special forces medics on, on Instagram, uh, which is, it's really easy to teach him, teach him human medic, how to treat a dog. just, Tell them to imagine a person standing on all fours, basically, with some minor differences and landmarks. And that usually they usually realize that they, they already have the knowledge and skills to treat a dog. they just never specifically been told how. It's kind of crazy to think about for how long we've been using dogs and the way I kind of think that dogs, the use of dogs have proliferated in the last 20 years for good reason. Um, the only now, because obviously in the military, we've, we have the ability to have me as uh, an asset. I'm, Literally, my job is to wait around for bad things to happen to dogs or people, kind of, um, which is actually a pretty sweet job as long as nothing bad's happening. Um, <laughs> yeah. And uh, with with paramedics, it's easy. The military is, they teach us how to do it, and we have this this asset, but obviously police departments, you were just talking about a lot of the, you know, one of the issues. And even with like, current events, you know, a lot of people are calling for the defunding of police organizations. But when I've gone and helped train a couple of police departments for the K9T, TRIC stuff, and it is honestly somewhat coming from the military and part of the military that honestly has a large budget, um, seeing kind of what departments are limited to for funding for getting that training. Uh, you know, like you would kind of assume that police officers would know how to put a tourniquet on. But a lot of the times these guys are learning that stuff on their own through resources on the internet. And realistically that was my only intention other than I do, I get a lot of, if I ever say weird stuff on the internet, just assume that I'm entertaining myself. That's usually what I'm doing. Hmm. So started mostly for self entertainment. And then, um, you know, I can for free get what I believe is accurate information out to handlers that may need it one day. Um, and I still, you still need training, right? Cause I can tell you on the internet how to do a needle chest decompression. And if it's your only option is to wing it, then it's better to do something than nothing. But realistically you should be getting training on a lot of these kind of point of injury care first aid type things before, you know, you just start sticking needles in random places. But I mean, if you have no other ideas, I would, you know, that's what you come up with and you're running out of time. It's kind of, Veterinary Tactical Group's thing is always to, to do something.
0: Yeah. Do something. Yeah. And, and they, they do a fantastic job. And we uh, I videoed that whole process and Janice's um, presentation, and it's up on our Patreon page. I put it up at the beginning of the year, I think, or towards the end of last year. Uh, they did a fantastic job. Um, and she talked about, and one of the things that's kind of the misnomer is the idea of tourniquets for dogs. And then um, some of the um, common injuries, I guess that you see um, that are applicable to law enforcement. So talk about those two things.
1: Yeah. And I actually, honestly, I meant to prepare a lot more for this, but we've been uh, kind of probably similar thing for you guys is after taking a long break, we're suddenly putting in like 12 hour days to catch up because of the pandemic. Uh, But I used to try to keep up with, uh, I'm sure you guys familiar with the, the end of watch, uh, law enforcement and to watch page and they have that canine section. Right. Um, mm-hmm. and a lot of that research that we have was done by Janice and her counterparts, um, at the time when she was active duty. And so a lot of the data from Iraq and Afghanistan, a uh, gunshot wound or IED blast, and heat injury, the top three, uh, I believe can, uh, law enforcement canine. I think, um, Heat injury was either number one or number two, but then it was usually blunt trauma, which would be hit by a car. I don't know if it's still, and that's a thing. My my frame of reference for law enforcement kind of comes and goes depending upon how much work we may do with a, a local law enforcement agency. Uh, whereas Veterinary Tactical Group stays up to date on a lot of this stuff for good reason. Uh, but there's definitely a trend over the the last ten years or so. If you even if just looking at that end of watch page, where could be for a variety of reasons. Whether we were are using more dogs, bad guys are more familiar with dogs and willing to fight them now. I, those would be probably the two 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 contributing factors. Could just be that, but there's a, a definite increase in the number of dogs being killed by uh, you know, like a Veterinary Tactical Group has their hostile action injury. You know, they have the free um, PowerPoint webinars all the time, and honestly, I do them sometimes. So I forget stuff a lot. The so. The law enforcement statistics are changing from kind of more benign, like training injuries to people are intentionally hurting the dogs when they're being sent on them. Um, And I think that's, so uh, a lot of stabbing injuries uh, and more gunshot wounds and heat injury is still on there. I know that for sure, but I'm not sure the blunt force trauma or kind of that scenario where the dog inadvertently gets hit by a car coming on or off the scene happens that much uh, from handler education a lot too. Right. And then the tourniquet thing that always comes up and that's, I don't know why that is. Um, like I, I know it's because we focus so much and the importance we place on tourniquets and human first aid or T but like a dog's legs, just not that big, you know, stopping the femoral bleed on my thigh that may weigh as much as a dog by itself. Is obviously much more difficult than a traumatic amputation on a 75-pound Malinois, because you can just grab it with your hand and stop the
0: bleeding. Yeah, not yeah, only that, no, but
1: honestly, there's,
0: there's almost no I, tissue there. It's basically bone and vessels. I mean, yeah. you can just kind of put your finger on it, it'll stop.
1: And I've, I've seen two. And honestly, that's another thing. I'm considered to have a lot of experience in point of injury and med- and evacuative canine care, but even like that's like seeing two traumatic amputations on a dog. Uh, You know, it's just, it's really not a common injury. Uh, The most, more often than not, when I saw a dog have get a traumatic amputation, that it was much more than just their legs because an IED blast. I never, never seen a dog survive an IED blast. There may, there may be some, but I've never personally experienced it.
0: Who Benny's dog? We had uh, Benny on, and he and yeah, the dog I think both. I remember listening to that. Yep, he and the dog both were in a house born one, and they both survived. Uh, the dog was carrying around a fucking rock and was pissed off at everybody, rightfully so. And I guess he couldn't fucking hear. I <laughs> figure. Um, and then traumatic amputation. One guy that you know is really close to Alicia and I um, was a ranger uh, and handled Benno, but he also handled um, Leka, the dog that. Is now missing her the, leg. Yeah, yeah. She was on the yeah. Time magazine yep. cover. Yeah, her uh, cool her on. handler. Um, um. You know, he still he actually has her uh, still. But yeah, I mean, oh, nice. that's, Yeah, that's a. Um, but that he kind of said the same thing. He was like, not many dogs can. You know, like once you give an IED blast, he was like, yeah, well, yeah. You know, and hers is from a gunshot wound, but um, shot her in the chest, and it was just the best thing to do to get rid of the. But the medics, uh, you guys saved her that night, too, so for sure.
1: Yeah, and actually, there's a lot. If you if you actually get into some of these, there's write-ups, but a lot of it's military-related. So, like, a lot of the things Janet's and Vennery Tactical Group may have put out in the past are in the Journal of Special Operations Medicine, which, you know, you need a – I think it's a subscription to, to read. Uh, but a lot of Ranger medics actually, you know – Evidence that we could put a crico uh, to a cricothyroidectomy or a cric rather than a tracheostomy in a dog was because ranger medics were like they're used to doing crics. They needed an airway and they just crack the dog. So that was one of the you know kind of an index case of that's not normally some wasn't normally done, um, but here we have an example of it being done in the field and it working. So there's a lot of that that information out there, but it's kind of hard to find, um, and that's why I like veterinary tactical group is or any, any legitimate kind of veterinary information you can get as dog handlers. Um, so you're better equipped if it's the worst case scenario. And luckily, like the worst case scenario, it doesn't happen that much, but being prepared for it, if it does.
0: I was just going to say that's one thing you see a lot, um, like the, the military side and the law enforcement side, you're right. Uh, heat injuries and blunt force from getting hit from cars and whatever else Those are the two leading causes of uh, dogs being injured and uh, law enforcement and single-purpose dogs, even search and rescue dogs, are susceptible to pull the heat just like just like yeah. a dual-purpose dog is. And um, so, whether it's good or bad about donating like vests and like bulletproof vests and whatever else for dogs, you know, and that's kind of the thing. And I say guys from your portion of the world, but what I mean is guys from your portion of the industry come to the other side. Um, where we work and they want to treat everything like they treat it in the military and I'm like cops are not soldiers and they Yeah, use do- they don't use dogs the same way like it's a completely different set of like everything and i yeah. for example one of my buddies is a ranger handler and he was in an HRD and they were doing the clearing exercise and one of the decoys poked his head out and, and this guy saw him and, get, and this guy's like, uh, I was like, so how would you handle this? He was like, fuck it. I'd throw a frag out. I'm like, we are not, you're <laughs> not fucking throwing a frag. they like, no, we're can't. not even playing. Like it was like, we're dealing with police officers. And I was like, police officers do not throw grenades. And he was like, well, that's how we deal with it. And I'm like, no, you're not and he was like, what are they supposed I mean, to do? You clear to him. <laughs> like, it's,
1: it's a method. Yeah, it's definitely a method. <laughs> That sounds one like thing. a very ranger, ranger method too.
0: Yeah. He's a good handler too. Um, he's a damn good trainer also. Uh, but he uh, was like, no, we're not, you're not fucking doing that. So, but I, I mean, I would venture to see that, that you guys see a lot of gunshot wounds for dogs, um, more so than law enforcement does. And, um, yeah. there's several instances of dogs being shot and, and, surviving. Surviving. and surviving dogs being, yeah. St- yeah, dogs being stabbed and survived. I'm a dog in Oklahoma city was stabbed in the neck with a screwdriver Man, it's been five years ago now and he died. Um, but, oh, wow. you know, yeah. And, you know, there's been several dogs. We interviewed, um, Harley's handler, um, the dog that was killed last year. Uh, it was the last episode of 2019. Um, yeah, crazy. I remember, yeah, I remember that. That and was, was a crazy interview. Yeah. And so it's kind of one of those deals that, um, you know, we, we talk about a lot in terms of snake oil salesmen and being, you know, using a dog in law enforcement, um, against like we don't use dogs to suck up rounds and we don't use them against people that are armed. Like we just don't usually. Um, yeah. Unless, I mean, and honestly
1: not. that's changed a lot, at least where I work, you know, bullets are cheaper than dogs. So yep. you can, if you can't outrun a dog, you can't outrun a bullet. Um, <laughs> you know, granted <laughs> you can, they yeah, deserved yeah. it to clarify, they deserved it in accordance with the rules of engagement. Um, but yeah, there was, we lost, a lot of dogs from gunshot wounds that did not survive. Um, and I mean, we're, you know, we're been fighting dirt farmers, but they're, they're not entirely without ingenuity. So I think the dogs, the way we use them were really successful. If we sent them in a house and they weren't expecting something that short to come into the house, they would miss them with a lot of their gunfire, but yeah, they started adjusting it to where, you know, if there was a, a, a pop and a flash, they would, if they were barricaded, they would just open up strafing low that so it would hit the dog if they sent the dog first. At least when I saw that happen a few times.
0: Yeah, one of my buddies, um somebody told me this that I think the most common gunshot injury for soldiers for humans is some like I can't remember which leg it is, but it's a leg injury or it has to do with being shot in the leg or something. Um more than anything else. And I, they some attribution attribution to that has been two dogs in the way that they deal with that. Yeah. They're going uh, for the dog. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And I think, like
1: you said, you know, that mentality of just sending the dog in, I think for good reason. Um, It seems like even in our, I guess my section of the canine world, uh, at least my unit doesn't, doesn't really train that way any longer. No, Uh, but I think that is, there is, there's a huge, like, that's why I, try to stick to a lot of the medical stuff. Cause I've, like I said, it's kind of a, my frame of reference for law enforcement canine comes and goes depending upon my interaction with law enforcement handlers. But, um, there's obviously a lot more, a lot more challenges. It just, in terms of resources, you know, like when I talk oh, to yeah. guys, a lot of canine handlers in general, I think, regardless of military law enforcement service. Um, I mean, that's, if we're being honest, it's always kind of like the redheaded stepchildren of whatever organization, you know, like canine is undervalued until it's, it's needed. And mm-hmm. right. A lot of it, a lot of, a lot of my experience, that's the impression of the perception. And so if you got a, you got a, a law enforcement handler, it could be the only one in his department. And if something happens to him and his dog, like that is, he is it or he or she is it. Whereas, you know, if something happens to one of our dogs, I'm like maybe 300 meters behind, Uh, offset, or I'm on QRF, or we have a dedicated medevac platform that's five minutes away to come just get a dog, Uh, which is always great about medevac pilots in my experience to feel like they should get a shout out for the fact that they they technically don't have to come for dogs, but they never say no.
0: When we had Pepper's handler on, um, that was something that he said even today when he meets those 160th dudes, like they were out looking for her until they were basically forced to come in, but yeah, that's, <laughs> yeah. that's not an uncommon. Um, I have heard that a lot and which is good. Yeah. I do want to mention something about, um, law enforcement for all the police on handlers in the United States listening. Eric and I get this question a lot. Um, if you send your, do- well, Eric says this all the time, if your dog gets shot, it should be a surprise. Um, but, um, I've had people ask me this recently. Um, if you send a dog and, they're fucking the dog up with a knife or whatever, or they're brandishing a firearm, but they're not pointing it at you. Um, can you use lethal force to protect the dog? And the answer is no. There's a case out of the fifth circuit that it's not, you can't do that. Um, really? If you want to, yeah. Well, that, and that they, in fact, it happened. With them. It happened. They sent a dog into a pond and it was biting a dude. Um, and the guy was either trying to drown him or did something. Um, officer ended up using lethal force against the guy getting bit to save the dog and it was a couple million dollar settlement. Um, wow. So yeah, rules are definitely different for military than they are for law enforcement. Oh yeah. But, oh, and yeah. obviously uh, I mentioned that case and I can't remember. It's out of the fifth circuit. It was in Texas. I can't remember the fucking name of the case. Um, are, right, by the they, time this airs, you can email me. I'll send it to you.
1: Are they, uh, are is long for, cause the military keeps, there's been a lot of talk. Uh, hopefully it will happen. Um, it probably won't be before I, I leave, but. Uh, kind of redesignating our military working dogs. So they're classified as inventoried equipment. I assure everyone that we do not treat them that way in any ever. I mean, there's a lot of irony when I'm putting a 70-pound Malinois on a state-of-the-art MRI facility to check out his hips when you know there's human beings that can't afford to go to the doctor. Right, uh, yeah. So like the, But they're trying to redesignate him more along the lines of a service member. And I had seen... I don't know that I read it that thoroughly, but uh, some efforts for at least police canines to be recognized more as a you know, there's re- more significant repercussions for injuring or harming a police or a police. They've canine. done
0: that on a state by state basis. In fact, our friends at um, Canines United, Debbie Johnson um, down at Canines United, uh, Jay Nixon, and Rigney, and those that group has helped push that agenda at the national level, but at the state level. Um, There are, I think just about every state now in the country has enhanced penalties or uh, criminal charges for injuring a police horse or a police dog, Um, even if it's during an apprehension. But, and it's kind of the same thing, Um, you know, there's a, there's a, uh, it happens all the time. We see it where a canine handler um, retires or, well, the handler retires or he gets moved to a different job. Or he gets fired or he quits or something, right? But the dog still has a usable service life left. And for better or for worse, the dog belongs to the agency. And they generally get reassigned. I do this all the time. Eric and I call them retreads, which is where we do a handler course for an experienced dog with a new handler. And, you know, it is what it is. The dog is there to perform a task. And, you know, he is at the... You know, yeah. he, he serves at the pleasure of the chief or of the sheriff or whatever agency he's working for. And the dog does not belong to the handler. Um, and yeah. that sucks, and it is what it is. And I know you see it all the time in the military. I mean, you know, some dogs will have fucking, you know, 12 handlers their entire career. And yeah. it is what it is. They belong to the military. They do not belong to yeah. um They, do not belong they to don't belong, the handler. belong to the guy. So We we do a pretty good
1: job of adopting our dogs out. Um, but like you said, at the end of their service life. So yeah, I, it sounds bad saying service life when you're talking about one of our dogs, but yeah, at the, at the end of their career as a canine, they, uh, we, we actually, cause we have a little bit more autonomy running our own program outside of the conventional military working dog program. And even the conventional dog program is just the bureaucracy makes it take way longer. But, um, uh, we're definitely haven't done this for 10 years we're definitely adopting out way more dogs than than before a big thing a big part of that i think is the dogs we saw 10 i saw 10 years ago were they were all kind of dickheads they like there weren't as many like social friendly dogs you can bring around a team without worrying about them tagging every person in the stack. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, yeah. So, I think that is a factor. But when I came in, we would humanely euthanize dogs that were just far too aggressive to go live on someone's couch. And honestly, I haven't seen that happen in a while. So, that, that's now, also another positive. I think when that
0: happens, um, those dogs, I mean, well, now, you know, Ritland has the Warrior Dog Foundation. Um, yeah. That has purpose was just for that. And they specialize in dickheads. In fact, I've sent a dog there. Uh, they retired from the yeah. police department that could not stay with his handler. Um, and that dog fit every hit every check mark that needed to go there. He was a dickhead. Uh, but I yeah. think you're right. Like, it, that that is definitely a – there's not near as many of those. But um, I've heard a lot of those. Like, those dogs will go to a kennel, um, and they'll get worked by kennel techs, and they'll get worked by, you know, handlers or trainers or whatever at that individual military kennel. But they'll just yeah. kind of go into reserve status and be used if needed. And then, you know, when it's time, it's time. But they, you know, they let them live out their normal life um, until and they're given all the care and everything else that they would normally be as if they were deployed. But they're not, you know, worked actively. I like can just put them on reserve status or something, what it's called. But yeah,
1: I don't know. That's actually another thing I find is kind of ironic that we do is a lot of the times. It's behavioral. We we keep, we have a centralized kennel facility. Um, our dogs don't go home unless there's special circumstances, usually medical related. Um, so they're maintained. They, I mean, honestly, their their houses and their runs are bigger than my bedroom. Um, but I do think there are certain dogs that suffer from from living that way, and so we will actually adopt them to police departments because we get dogs that just really start becoming kennel aggressive. Um, don't like. You know, a variety of guys pulling them out to do obedience or get them some exercise. It's usually better if we get them like a one-on-one kind of handler-handler dog bond at least. So that's actually been pretty pretty. We've done that a handful of times. Also, just as a heads up for police departments that um, may be looking to start a canine program, you can contact military kennels in your area and see if they have any suitable dogs for law enforcement adoption. Yeah for anyone that well, that's doesn't good to know. already know that
2: yeah yeah a lot of people don't know that um the agencies that are like in north carolina they know that because they get yeah, dogs. they got right there you know right and um some of the in virginia obviously they, those guys know that too but a lot of people don't know that uh um, we're gonna go ahead and take yeah, a break that... right now we get back gotta get into a couple i want to get into a couple of uh things for um law enforcement guys to do uh medically with the dogs in, in the in the case of of an injury um when they're kind of by themselves so we'll go ahead and take a break right now we'll be right back all right guys uh we just got word everybody did that the hits conference was canceled unfortunately due to all this stuff um you know they they thought they could get it going and everything but with everybody being afraid to travel, a police department's not wanting to send guys. They really want it to be, you know, a thousand people there like they do, thousand plus. It is truly the best seminar in the country. You can't miss out. But Ted, it's not canceled totally, correct?
0: Nah, they're moving it to uh, July 6th through the 9th in Scottsdale, Arizona uh, in 2021. So um, all the instructors are going to be the same. All the vendors are going to be the same. We're just moving it to July 6th to the 9th in 2021. In the meantime, though, um, the boys over there have started another podcast. Um, It's been going for a while. So if you can't, since we're not going to be able to go to HITS in 2020, head over and look them up for um, HITS K9 Radio. They just um, have some really, really good podcasts up. Um, They're a little shorter than ours. And they're still giving out good information just like we are, which is the whole point of the entire process that we're going on here and over there and the entire point of Hits K9 in general. So, unfortunately, uh, 2020 is off, but we will see everybody July 6th through the 9th in Scottsdale, Arizona, 2021.
2: And Ray Allen K9 Manufacturing, it's no secret that we love Ray Allen K9 Equipment. We use their products every single day. Their mission statement says it all, to be a world leader in quality and innovation of professional canine equipment for police, military, Schutzen and Ring Sport, to exceed our customers' expectations and delivery on time, every time, at a fair price. We full-heartedly believe they've held true to that, since it is our go-to one-stop shop for everything dog.
0: One of the longtime sponsors of Working Dog Radio from the beginning has been Highland Canine in North Carolina. Tactical Police Canine, a.k.a. Highland Canine in North Carolina, offers training, seminars, and consulting globally for police, military, and non-government agencies. They provide customized training programs to address specific problems and meet the needs of your organization. Check out their wide array of handler courses, instructor courses, supervisor courses, and online courses at Tactical Police. Canine Uh Jason and Aaron Ferguson are two of our most favorite people and they have been with us since the beginning so hit them up we
2: get it fueling a working dog can be tough but they need that high quality food to give them the energy and nutrients that they require for the work we ask them to do kinetic dog food has a great balance of healthy meats and grains and is made specifically for working and sporting dogs they have a full line of foods and supplements available and they've been working to perfect their line with thousands of dogs in hundreds of departments across the U.S. And you can buy it locally, online, or at Tractor Supply. Another one of our favorite partnerships is with the one and only Dogtra. These guys are producing some amazing tools in the dog training world. Everything from e-collars, GPS tracking, ball training, bark collars, if it's electronic, Dogtra is the best. They are truly revolutionizing the way you communicate with your dog. Plus, they give us a great discount code. Go to dogtra.com.
0: Everybody hears me say all the time, you can't teach dogs to bite people and I'm shocked when they do. Inevitably, I get bit. You've all heard me talk about how I get tagged and being tagged by a dog sucks. So I've used quick term (laughs) to help myself, uh, but before... I had to go to the doctor's office. Uh, it, it definitely helped keep down infection and everything else. And I've had some uh, non-scarring because of it too. So it's pretty good. But it's no exaggeration. The stuff is great. Once daily treatment for any skin condition on small wounds to help stop little issues from becoming big ones that your admins are sure to love. It comes in a spray, it comes in an ointment, it comes in a dressing. Quick Term is great at creating protective barrier and promoting wound healing. There's no reason not to have a bottle of this in the patrol car, or your kennel, or your first aid cabinet. Plus, it's, it's uh, temperature stable so you can keep it in the patrol car when it's cold when it's hot whenever and it'll still be good make sure you hit them up at vetcare.us and use the discount code one zero wdr for a discount on your first purchase which is going to be 10 percent
2: have you ever dreamed of having your own kennel but don't know where to start horizon structures has taken all of the guesswork out of building a kennel Everything is pre-built to your specifications and preferences and then assembled and dropped off at your land. Boom. New kennels. And these things are amazing. You've got to see them to truly believe them. Their website, horizonstructures.com, is a one-stop shop. Build your best kennel, your favorite things you want. Check it out, horizonstructures.com. All right, everybody. We are back, Working Dog Radio, broadcasting The Bite. We are another great medical episode here um, I want to get into uh, you know so since uh, the majority of our canine handler listeners are in law enforcement there's a couple things I want to get into um, quickly and then what some might take a little bit longer for you but um, the one thing is you mentioned about the heat you know being one of the main causes we um, this has been brought up in several times but I always think it's a good a good um, uh, thing to bring up each time we talk about it is real quick for, for the guys out there, when their dog has a heat issue quickly, like what is the thing they should do? Um, there's been rumors that things that they should do things that, Oh, no, don't do that. That doesn't work. Uh, what, what do you suggest is like right away? First thing, first couple things they need to be doing with that dog.
1: Rapidly cooling them down. The first thing is, uh, and to preface all of this, I learned like, uh, so James Baker and um, Laura Miller, Andrew Lacey, uh, kind of my predecessors published uh, a, a paper on this. We used to think that rebound hypothermia was a risk factor. More or less, if you cool something too fast, it will go from being too hot to being too cold and that sends them into shock. Uh, they found out that that wasn't the case um, with dogs at least. So what... I see it a lot. Like right now in Washington state, it's, I don't know what it is outside. It's probably like 60, which is nothing for the rest of the country, but 60 degrees here after the after spring or winter can be a pretty big jump. Um, so seeing that 15 or 20 degree ambient temperature change can be a struggle for the dogs to adapt to uh, immediately. So I carry ice sheets, which is just, that's a cooler with uh, kind of those microfiber towels, but well, they are microfiber towels, ice and water. So they're just, a uh, towel with ice water and I'll lay that over the dog, checking their temperature every two to five minutes and then uh, replacing, I put two or three of those towels into the cooler and I'll replace them as the, probably every five to 15 minutes. Obviously that isn't necessarily having a cooler full of towels and ice and water may not be realistic. Those instant ice packs. I, I'm a big fan of putting those, them in their in their groin in their uh, armpits um, the one thing I've found that never really makes that big of a difference. And it, people always sit in their opinion, they believe it does, but they put the rubbing alcohol on the pads. And the idea behind that is dogs don't sweat. they just pant and salivate. And so cooling them down more or less putting that ice water over them and then having any air move, it's pulling that heat away from them. And the alcohol on the pads is the same basic principle. It's just such a small, you know, how much heat is really being pulled off of that dog's paw as that rubbing alcohol quickly evaporates. I don't it t- checking the temperature pretty constantly for the dogs that have treated for it. I'm not seeing any significant temperature drop from that alone. Uh, and honestly, the ice sheets are making a much bigger difference. Uh, so just kind of stick with that um, ice water. The the thing is too is. I put the ice water on a towel because then I have the ability to take it on and off the dog. They do get wet, but if you just coat the dog in ice water, and you don't have any way to, to dry them off. Then you could run into uh, rebound hypothermia as, and then shock. So more or less to sum it up, rapidly cool them, take their temperature as often as possible. And at the beginning, just know your dog. Uh, a lot of people talk about the, the kind of arbitrary numbers that represent a normal working dog core temperature, which is always rectal. Uh, the only difference between a dog thermometer and a human thermometer is the taste.
2: Oh, and, gross.
1: Uh-huh. Um so like one dog at 104 degrees, I'm just going to keep going like it didn't happen. One dog may be fine at 104 <laughs> degrees and another dog at 104 degrees may be a very obvious heat injury. So science and symptoms are important, which most people are aware of. Like looking at other uh, canine forums, you know, there was a pretty big heat injury post the other day and it's largely all accurate information. So I think people have a general, a good general idea. Um, A lot of times handlers take extra steps that are unnecessary, but that makes them kind of feel better because they're actively doing something. So honestly, a lot of times I let if handlers feel better because they're, doing something even though I know it may not make a huge difference I just kind of let him run with it but if time is important just focus on the rapidly cooling with, with cool water I mean if you're if you're doing a track or you're in a rural area and if you have a body of water you can walk them into the lake um, that's a big thing is their mentation can be abnormal or they could be kind of out of it so never just toss them into a lake because you don't want to drown your dog when you're trying to save their life usually um
0: <laughs> right. Yeah.
1: And that kind of, I mean, that, that more or less wraps it up. That's kind of the, the gist of heat injury.
0: All right.
1: Do you have any good. questions about, That's I mean, what are your guys' questions? What are some of the things you think are
2: more misconceptions that you run across? Well, the rubbing alcohol for sure. Um, that was, I'm glad you mentioned that. That's a good one. And we've had a couple incidents, just like you're saying, tracking in the summer um, where the, the handler um put the dog in a, a pond to cool them off we've had guys snag people's garden hoses from their house and you know cool you know worked that to cool the dog off which i i always thought was better than nothing you know at least to get yeah the, get it starting to come down but there was other other people and i don't even remember that would say no no that's not really it you need to um, actually use ice and things like that to, to cool their body the water doesn't do anything to them um, so I mean, yeah, yeah, that was good.
1: Basically, the the principle with it is just that the dogs can't necessarily all their heat's being released through their mouth. They're panting to expel heat. So even if you only have a garden hose, if you soak them down with a garden hose and put them in the back of your canine insert, or even have them ride shotgun, so you can keep an eye on them. I mean, it kind of depends on whether you what your dog will do in your front seat, but. You put soak them in water from a hose next to the house you were just in, put them in your car, roll the windows down, turn the AC on, and go 60 miles an hour. All that air blowing over the cool, cooler water, than the ambient temperature is going to start pulling heat off the dog. So whether you have ice or just regular water, or even lukewarm water, uh, you can use that to, to cool the dog down. But then the, the little things Perfect. like rubbing alcohol, that's... Yeah. Just leave that in the car if you're going on a track and bring a couple instant ice packs with you.
2: Yeah, good. Good to know. Hope you guys listen. Uh, one of our dogs, Jethro, got shot and killed in the line of duty. Um, so he was in a grocery store at night. He got shot a bunch of times in the in the chest and once in the head. Once right like right in the uh, above the nose. Um, Ryan, the handler like 99% of the dog handlers out there doesn't have NVGs, right? And he's yeah. working off of a flashlight in the grocery store by himself. Uh probably if i remember right, Ryan saying he was trying to hold the flashlight in his mouth. The one thing and Jethro had long hair, but not not horribly. It wasn't he wasn't the longest haired shepherd, but it was definitely a little bit longer and he had five shots to the chest area and Ryan really struggled in the dark doing that trying to find the entry wounds um and as all five of those actually had exit wounds too um, Oh wow hopefully none of our listeners ever have to deal with that but yeah what would you do what would you suggest like right then and there trying to how how do you go about in that hair in the chaos with the blood and all that trying to locate those wounds
1: so that, I mean, honestly, um, the only dog, I've, the only dogs I've personally seen that have had that many gunshot wounds have all not survived. Um, and that's one of the statistics. I'm not, I can't remember the number off the top of my head, but they did some of this research. Uh, you know, Dr. Janice Baker did a lot of it, or at least I learned it from her. There dogs are, there's a certain percentage of dogs that are just killed outright when the, a gunshot wound happens. But out of that percentage that survives, they have like a 97% uh, Survival rate with an average return to duty of 21 days. I've never personally been shot. I don't imagine if I was that I would go back to work in just three weeks at 100%. Um, but that many, that's a really overwhelming scenario for anyone. Even that would be for me, despite having done it for a decade. Uh, and honestly, even under NVGs, I'm really bad with depth perception under, under nods. So a lot of times if I'm like trying to hit a vein while I have nods on, I just stick myself in the finger, which is cool. Um, but that many without in low light conditions by yourself. Um, so we do the, it's called a a finger, you guys are probably familiar with the finger sweep, um, where you kind of, from wherever the casualty is laying, put your hands underneath the casualty, one hand length at a time going down, kind of checking it at each hand length interval, uh, for any blood. So it's kind of called like a blind sweep. One thing I see guys do when I teach it is they'll put their hands under the dog, run their hands all the way along the bottom of the dog that's against the floor, then pull their hands out. But that doesn't really help you narrow down where that blood was. You just know it's on the bottom side of your dog. So doing that like methodical one hand length interval at a time while checking it, and again, if you're trying to hold especially something like a maglite in your mouth by yourself, uh, it's going to be tough to... And realistically with that many gunshot wounds and exit wounds, you're going to have to try to patch them as you find them without, without a whole lot of light to, to see what you're doing. Uh, but definitely at a gunshot wound itself, if you just, if you know your dog's been shot, uh, the biggest thing, um, kind of the principles of tactical combat casualty care, uh, you know, is care under fire. So try to recall your, recall your dog if possible. Uh, because if you can get them back to you and you can get behind uh, cover concealment then it increases uh, increases your odds of survival as well as a safe place to be able to treat the dog or, or another officer um, get them to safety and then start performing the blind sweeps right identify the entry wounds as you can see them with whatever as a casual however the casualty is positioned you can see the right side of the dog no entry wounds, then I'd move to the downside and check for exit wounds. And then if it's above any penetrating traumatic injury above kind of uh, the last rib towards the head, we always treat it as if it was a second chest wound and put a chest seal on it. Even if the dog doesn't appear to have an unequal rise and fall of the chest, or if they don't appear to have a a sucking chest wound. If there's a hole there, we'll still cover it with a chest seal. Does that kind of answer that scenario? Oh yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a, it's, I mean, it's that's a, a shit lot scenario for... for sure. Yeah. 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 Um, right, that's, that's a so lot the of, advantage... that's a lot of gunshots.
2: Right. Yeah. And he though, actually the one they believe killed him was the one to his head. It didn't penetrate, but they believe it rattled his brain so much because he uh, could never, he could yeah. never Calm down we couldn't get him settled and he just um like he had his heart just gave out um but because the all the five wounds in the front were all in and out they didn't they didn't hit anything he got, i mean oh, he got lucky oh. there but uh yeah so the advantage that we have as city cops um is and, and bigger county guys is that we can and this is what ryan did actually they had call it called an ambulance and the ambulance came real quick and threw the dog in the ambulance and ran him to the emergency vet. We have an emergency vet within X number of minutes of drive, but a lot of guys are uh, out there. Those those deputies out in those rural counties, working by themselves with the dog, they are nowhere near any kind of emergency vet or anything like that. What what would you suggest for those guys, as an as a must-have medical loadout in their car, on their person that they. Listen, it's you. If shit happens, like your dog breaks his leg, or or he something really bad happens to him out there, it's you for quite some time. What would you? Uh, yeah, the must like have. You, um, so I I've got a list that
1: I, I just it's on Instagram um, that I give to anybody for free. You get you can buy uh, the canine individual first aid kits. There's a lot of good ones out there. Triad Medical makes a great one. Medic. K9 makes another one and I've talked to both those guys about what I put in my IFAC so at least you know they're um, they weren't that familiar with it and sought out somebody they felt had more experience and they're really good kits you can also just put one together yourself Uh, if you look at like Chinook Medical um, Tac Med Solutions North American Rescue they all sell the individual components of for first-aid stuff bandages and whatnot uh, at the very least, in what I do is the, the handler will carry their own IFAC and then they will also carry a canine IFAC for their dog. I know some guys like to just carry one. Uh, I, we don't, I don't like doing that just because if your dog's a casualty, you the handler, potentially being the first responder, will use your canine IFAC and those no supplies on your dog. If you become a casualty before, during or later, someone may need to use your IFAC supplies on you. That you've already used on your dog before Um, and it goes uh, you know that like cliche two is one and one is none saying so definitely two IFACs on your person I talked to a lot of law enforcement guys in the past and I asked them kind of what medical stuff they carry uh, and then I asked where it is and they usually say it's oh it's back in the car and I mean I got it Mm because we're just kind of hanging out so but if if you're a law enforcement officer I would strongly encourage you Whatever medical supplies you have, have some that you always have on you if you don't already. And separate from that, most of the stuff in the IFAC will be quick-clot gauze, uh, ace wrap, which ace wrap will work as a tourniquet if your dog ends up losing part of their leg or just ends up having some hemorrhaging from a leg. You can use the ace wrap as a tourniquet. Curlex, because the combination of... You know, nine times out of ten, we're dealing with routine stuff with dogs. You know, like they, they messed up their dewclaw or they, they tail tip trauma. So a lot of that stuff is just, if you have Curlex and Ace Wrap and your CI fac and your dog messes up their tail, getting blood everywhere uh, while you're still working a problem or uh, on a deployment, you've got stuff you can take care of that routine stuff as well as you've got stuff like, oh, shit stuff, I need to stop this massive hemorrhaging. And most of the stuff I recommend people carry is just focused on, carry on their person is just focused on that point of injury care. So first aid, point of injury going into uh, CASAVAC or medevac care, and then into definitive care or surgical care. And for all you know, you guys are point of injury and the medevac, CASAVAC. So I also recommend having what's called, uh, you call it truck bag or stomp bag uh, or kick bag, Having a larger medical bag that has more, more stabilizing stuff in it. Like that could be where you keep your instant ice packs to grab with you with your, you know, your tracking bag or whatever, however you, you do stuff, as well as having SAM splints in case there's a fracture or something. You can just figure out if you run through potential risk factors when you're working, you know, you everyone can think out. What they may need on them and what they want to stage back at the car, with the goal being to get back to the treat at injury, safely get back
2: to the car where you can evacuate and potentially treat more. That's that's good. That's good stuff. Um, I I feel those are the guys, man, that I really feel bad for that are out there and in the middle of nowhere and shit. You just got to get shit done. You know what I mean? It might be you yeah. and one other dude, and you're that's- thirty minutes from town, you know,
1: that's yeah, like that, uh, that sticker that says no one is coming. It's, it's up to up yeah, to you. you or us. That's literally, that's, that's that guy's sticker. It's just him and <laughs> him and <laughs> a dog 30 minutes from that. Yeah. And that's another thing I recommend. And it, if you've ever done a veteran tactical group class, they talk about planning a lot. And I think that's medical training or quick like supplies aside, just being able to plan and you kind of have to think outside the box. You know, we talked about we talked about how in the army we have people that's only job is to fly helicopters to us if we're hurt. Um, you not may not necessarily have that at, that resource, but you might have a local news helicopter. So if you talk to them and establish a relationship ahead of time, maybe that news helicopter will be willing to come pick you up in that you know thirty minute flight versus that three hour drive to get your dog to a veterinary hospital. So there's other. Planning like interagency planning cooperation, it works really well for us. You know, if we we bring our dogs anywhere, people love dogs generally. And if you if they don't, probably shouldn't trust them. And uh, we get a lot of things accomplished just by bringing our dogs to say hi to people. So if you if you are a handler this kind of works independently, um, see what you can think of working with other agencies around you to help you out.
0: One other thing that um, <clears throat> we see a lot with law enforcement, especially in the south and um, in, in the southwest and in the southern uh, coast, uh, west coast, is snakes um, mm. and snake bites. Uh, in fact, one of my dogs yeah. um, who is on a SWAT team, he does dual duty. He's a SWAT dog, but he's also like a normal patrol dog. Uh, his handler is a super good dude. Um, they were tracking somebody the other day. It's been, It's been a couple months ago. Uh, Doug got bit on the face <laughs> by I a like venomous it. snake and he survived. Uh, but I don't, I mean, it depends on, I guess on where you're deployed. Cause I, I mean, where you deploy, cause there are certain areas of the world where there are fucking gnarly ass venomous snakes. And, yeah. um, do you have any advice for treating that stuff? I will say for everybody listening, um, university of Jacksonville, um, has a vet guy that works there his name is Michael Sh- dr. Michael shear I think uh, probably one of the most foremost like snake bite guys in the country for dogs um, and probably horses yeah. too, I would imagine um, but he had some crazy uh, statistics and advice and that kind of stuff but do you uh, do you ever have any experience with having to treat that yeah
1: I've, I've had um, had a dog me and uh, an actual, a, a critical care veterinarian, uh, I don't know, it's a, it's a while ago now, I've seen like i I've seen a handful, all the ones I've seen have survived. Um, my understanding is rattlesnake bites, the usual North American venomous snake bite are, are pretty survivable. Not that, you know, you're going to be nonchalant about your dog being bit by a rattler, but one thing I learned recently is I was always taught before, you know, you give them Benadryl, or diphenhydramine. Uh, turns out that doesn't matter, which kind of makes sense because, uh, hydrogen mm-hmm. yeah. and histamine and venom is not a, not a histamine. So, you know, that doesn't matter. I think it was the same guy you referenced that I was reading. Cause honestly, a lot of these emergency vets, especially in the areas you mentioned, they're going to see way more snake bites than I am oh, yeah. or necessarily anybody. But, uh, they were saying how they, a lot of the times they don't use anti-venom anymore. The dog I saw, we used an it. We like, we, f- we went to a human hospital and got anti-venom uh, and he said he has really good survival rates. Um, as well as I was always kind of taught that like, well, you know, usually the snake will be in a kind of close radius, go find it. And so you can identify the species for the anti-venom, you know, they don't even, they weren't even recommending that. Um, I think the biggest thing is keeping the dog as calm as possible because the faster their heart rate is, the faster they're pumping venom through their body. Yep. And then getting, just getting them to, uh, a veterinary hospital as quickly as possible, where they're going to administer drugs. And one of the biggest things is they start; they can start seizing, and uh, it's obviously painful. So they just kind of medically manage the symptoms of the snake bite until the body kind of heals itself. Especially if we're not giving, it, if they're not routinely giving antivenin. There used to be a, a rattlesnake venom vaccine. My, what I knew about at the time was it's good for six months. So you got to revaccinate every six months. And how effective it is, at least a few years ago, was controversial. There weren't, you know, people, I wasn't 100% sure whether people thought it was worth doing or not. Uh, it seemed more often than not, veterinarians recommended
0: yeah, against and- it. And the other thing is, you know, the symptoms of the, the different types of venom are pretty telling. Um, and they both have yeah. different modalities. Like it's, it's going to kill the dog one of two, or like different ways. Um, when we were at that, we had an HRD down in Marion County, Florida, and one of their deputies, um, George Wallace, who's a friend of ours, um, set up a vet thing the day before at university of Florida and Dr. Shear was there and he was talking about, and I can't remember the name, the, the, the species, the steak, but just they had observed the same species of snake from northern Florida all the way down to Miami to the far southern tip. And, the, and, the, the, and it went up into like Georgia and some other places, too. But depending on where the dog was in, or the, the snake was in latitude, um, their venom changed. And uh-huh. so if a dog was bit by this snake in, you know, the Georgia, Florida Georgia line, the antivenom or the treatment protocol would be different than if they were bought bit down in Palm beach County because the venom was based on what the snakes were eating. They had some reason for it. And I'm like, no shit. So if you go to some vet and you're like, yeah, the dog was bit by this type of snake and they're like, Oh, well we treat it this way because that's how, because this is the type of snake that always has it. And the snakes venom changed based on what their diet was. And they said that it changed over, they said to a couple of generations I'm um, breeding of the snakes, which I was floored by. And I heard the same thing from a, there's a vet locally here in Oklahoma uh, that treats a lot of horse bites. I guess we have a ton of horses here and cows um, mm-hmm. snake bites. And they said the same thing about some of our cotton mouse, um, which are fucking disgusting. They're they like water. Yeah. And this sna- like in the snake, like and the venom changes in terms of how it presents itself. So, I mean, That's not always a hard, fast rule, but, you know, I I would encourage handlers. If you're in a very high snake prone like area, figure out, like, go talk to some university or vet or whatever and get a plan for so that they know. Because, I mean, my vet that we go to for the kennel, you know, because we have 40 something runs of the kennel and I have a fucking frequent flyer card at our vet. And we talk (laughs) with him all the time about snake bites. Right. So. Um, he's very yes. up to date uh, on that kind of stuff. And we have like protocols and plans in place. So we have a dog that gets bit by, bit by a snake um, locally. But, you know, if you take 20 minutes and go into your vet and talk to him and be like, this is what we expect. These are the symptoms of the snake bite. This is the symptom of this type of venom. is the symptom of this type of venom. And then you can go from there. But that's what I would suggest.
1: Yeah, I think that's good. I mean, I had no idea. That sounds interesting. And also super convenient to have the same snake with different venom in different areas. Um, but like, I think it's kind of like the gunshot wounds. like dogs, dogs are just way tougher than us. Uh, at least I think so watching them, but, uh, we have, we haven't had that many, I don't know if you've ever seen a giant wood spider. They're harmless, but they're, they're relatively large and, um, like to make their webs at like your, at your face level. Just walk through the jungle at night into a very, into a giant wood spider spider web was not a fan of the jungle, honestly. No. So I would say avoid Sip. the jungle, and that way you don't have to worry about
2: snakes in the jungle. Noted.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I don't do so I'm glad,
2: Ted. I'm glad you asked about the snake because I would have just told him to suck the venom out. You know, <laughs> yeah. it works in the movies. You just yeah, put your mouth you on your do the <laughs> <out>. <laughs> Do not do that. Spit it out. Do not do
1: that. It definitely.
0: I'm pretty sure it works. I saw it yeah. on, saw it on a movie. Uh, a note on the Benadryl thing, um, they were saying that um, in certain types of snake bites, it can actually make it worse, which I thought was interesting. Really? Yeah. I, I just read
1: that, um, you know, it's, I don't know why I never thought, it was just kind of one of those things that I accepted. Like, oh, I was told to do this, so, you know, Benadryl. But then when I kind of explained, it's like, yeah, that is, that actually makes a lot of sense because why would Benadryl do anything to venom? But I definitely, the snake bite is, has always kind of been get to the vet as fast as possible, uh, especially when I, when I talk to law enforcement guys. Yeah. Uh, and that, I mean, that kind of goes with everything when I, when I talk to law enforcement guys. Like, I, I don't really even teach. As far as IV placement for given IV fluids, uh, there can be beneficial. It's A lot of that's changing in human medicine, uh, and I think sometimes veterinary medicine kind of go takes a little bit longer to, to catch up. But if you're a law enforcement officer and you have the ability to run code and get to like a 24 hour ER facility in 15 minutes, is it better for you to mess around with an IV that you placed one time in a training course two years ago for 15 minutes or just spend that 15 minutes getting to where you need to go? I think a lot of the times we can forget when you, when you start building medical knowledge and skills to take care of teammates or dogs at point of injury, you can kind of get sucked into that, like, well, I'm taking care of this versus maybe it would be better to, maybe you don't need to take care of that right now and you can just start evacuating casualty. Uh, a big one is kind of when we do scenarios, like you were talking about the the disappearing dog, we uh, put distractor wounds on dummy dogs or something. So like a really gnarly looking cut on a, on a leg or a paw, but it's not life threatening. But the dog does have life threatening injuries. So... Focus on life threats, transport. Let uh, let the surgeons or the doctors deal with uh, some of those more
2: minor injuries. That's a good plan, in my opinion. So let's um, let's talk about. Uh, you mentioned uh, Instagram. Let's talk about that a little bit, if we can. Um, you want to tell everybody real quick who you are on Instagram?
1: Yeah, I'm. I'm, I'm uh, at Denmother underscore canine. Um, So uh, obviously a lot of people know that
2: just some dude, (laughs) uh,
1: just just a dude. Uh, I mean, I'll post it comes and goes depending on how busy I am or how much I feel like dealing with people on the internet. Uh, But try to generally post at least once a month. And a lot of the thing too is uh, I like talking to people. I'll talk to anybody that messaged me mostly about their dog or whatever else. But if people have suggestions on Instagram, you know, like you you can, you can hit me up and I can make a post. I, sometimes I just can't think anything. So I don't do anything. But if someone sends me a message with a specific question, I generally try to make that a topic. Uh, it's a lot easier for me if, if people give me topics than coming up with them. Cause I'll just, I'll probably just be dwelling on my pet peeve of canine tourniquets. (laughs) (laughs)
2: yeah yeah i see uh you you post a lot where you'll do and it is probably is from a from a suggestion where you'll get you'll do a a quick series of video or uh, pictures and things question and answer stuff there's a ton of information in there um yeah it's not well
1: organized or probably formatted or spelled or grammatically correct but Yeah, if you click on that, um, I obviously forget it's there, but if you click on one of those little circle things, uh, again, this is my, for being a millennial, I'm very bad at computers, uh, whatever, I don't know, man, the little circle, you click on the circle thing, and it'll pull up old stories of questions I've answered or topics I've covered, and I really don't mind covering them again, because it kind of is a, it's going to come up. Someone's going to post a, like, here's how you put a cat tourniquet on a dog thing, and I'll make another tourniquet rant about not needing it right but yeah you um, put
2: a lot of I mean you you show a lot of the medical stuff with the dummies um, and some random cool pictures from military yeah stuff. yeah and that's
1: uh, it's Instagram well so you guys are aware of what the, the internet's like. it's funny because I can post it depends on the picture you post like how much attention it actually gets so you know I can post them like a like tactical picture with completely unrelated text but it always is Always more, I I mean, I guess the gross pictures of dog diarrhea. Understandably, don't get a whole lot of (laughs) of good attention. But but yeah, we're actually uh, at Special Forces Medics, who does that canine guide that I really like and helped him kind of revise. Uh, We're actually potentially going to help each other do some more instructional videos. I tried videotaping myself one time. It was just super awkward, so I just cut it. I'm not I'm not doing this alone in my house. It's weird, uh, but together, hopefully, it'd be less awkward. And um, I'd mentioned in a forum one time, and I'll say it again here, just for anyone that might not have seen it. Was I have one of those fancy dog? I, it's not mine. Uncle Sam has given me a fancy dog to use uh, for training. One of those diesel dog mannequins. Obviously, no one wants to go spend 60k or or however much it is. For, for that, but those um, those archery deer decoys are pretty solid training aids for running some of your own uh, T-Tri-C or canine T-Tri-C scenarios. You cut the legs off them, kind of spray paint them like a Malinois, uh, and you can create a lot of penetrating injuries, stick a knife in them like stab wounds. Um, you can put some IV lines that are, that are dyed red through it with IV bags, so you actually get some of fake it, you get some simulated blood flow. But if it's something that handlers or uh, kennels or courses are interested in, um, that's a pretty low-cost option to start incorporating canine medical training for dog handlers into more routine, uh, normal
2: day-to-day dog training. Is that you jumping off the tower with the dog in your cage in the water?
1: Oh no, that's uh, that's Aris's um, first handler. Because uh, I, I saw people thought it was me jumping off, but I'm much more tattooed and taller than him. Not that people would know from the very few pictures I actually posted myself. Uh, hmm. But no, it's me. The picture of me is climbing with that dog on my back, which he's very he's a heavy dog. I'd like to add. Uh, that was another guy jumping off the platform. And that was a that was a Dustin wins platform down there
2: oh his guys that was yeah that's good uh that was a pretty good jump
1: yeah no I, w- I would love to take credit for that form and everything but that was not me it was a good opportunity to go down there though because we obviously don't do a lot of water stuff uh we do but it's not it's not fun because water in washington state's really cold and water in california <laughs> is
2: nice and warm i also see on there you're an ambassador for worthless handler how'd you guys get hooked up
1: uh, I was just mostly just the random dude making posts to, you know, whoever wanted to read them because that's what I did. And uh, he just messaged me. I think we had followed each other or something at some point. Um, and I know you guys know know him, so more along the lines of, uh, I think what even working at radio, radio is trying to do is just get more um, people with a diverse diverse experiences in the canine community that can give people the most accurate information to, well, for me to hopefully save their dog. If something bad, that
2: happens, worst case scenario. Yeah. We like him. It's uh our interview with him is the only one that's never been, well, I shouldn't say never played. How long did it last Ted? About an hour,
0: 13 minutes
2: before we had to pull it 13 minutes,
0: 13 minutes. Yeah. Uh, I, we, I know a
2: little
1: we, bit about that and it's uh, it's
0: episode number 40 <laughs> by the way for yeah. really listening. We still have it. It's still um it's actually still in our cloud. Um all I got to do yeah. is hit one button and it'll go back up, but I'm waiting. Um, waiting for I, uh I, I'm yeah, we're waiting. Um it'll go back up, but um yeah, it's episode 40 cuz all the time people are like, "Where'd have episode 40 cuz it goes from 39 to 41." Like 40, it, yeah. it's, it's it's there. It's just you can't see it right now. So It's
1: like the it's like the 13th floor of a hotel.
0: <laughs> exactly.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, how long is, are you waiting for? Is there a proposed uh, timeline for the release
0: date? Or, not yet. Uh, I'm waiting on some other stuff. We'll let him decide
2: that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Nah, I figured He says the coast is clear. Yeah.
1: Well, that will definitely be another episode that I download, intending to listen to, and then
2: get really busy
1: and forget. Because <laughs> uh, I've still got the one you have Jimmy Hatch that I meant to listen to this week and I haven't. And I was specifically like, well, I should definitely listen to it before I actually go on it. And then I didn't do that either, but maybe tomorrow, tomorrow, hopefully I'll, be, yeah. I'll start knocking out my, my list of downloaded podcasts. But I really like listening Watch to the out. show and you guys have had a lot Thank of awesome you. episodes, so I'm not sure I uh, am cool enough to be on it as well, <laughs>
2: but I'm glad that at least the stuff I, am somewhat useful for can be helpful in the future absolutely we've been you know we've been trying to get you on for a while it's always been some sort of goat screw or another um yeah and that's to be
1: able to get you yeah everyone i mean that's yeah it's kind of we have somewhat down times and then uh and then we out of nowhere get incredibly busy and you don't really notice until after you realize you haven't been home for a while so I'm glad that it finally got nailed down a time and place, mostly thanks to um, me heckling Alicia online. So <laughs> <I don't. laughs> she likes that. <laughs> yeah, I know it's. Uh, I definitely get a lot of entertainment from my uh, sarcastic banter on the internet. So.
0: Um, so we can find you at dim mother canine, um, and most of your stuff revolves around um, what we've been talking about. So you know, uh, like you said, yeah,
1: it's mostly either canine stuff me being a smart ass or me entertaining myself so you can really i don't take myself that seriously i wouldn't recommend anyone does Uh, but you can sometimes find useful dog stuff on there
2: eric what about you where are you at van s canine on instagram that's the only thing i feel like promoting tonight except for hrd police canine and our uh, Working Dog Radio uh, Patreon page. Check out uh, yep. patreon.com, Working Dog Radio. How yep. about you, Uh Thanks.
0: I am at uh, Torchlight Canine, letter K, number nine, on Ostagrams. That's the kennel page. And then my personal one is Ted underscore Summers, which is basically another version of Torchlight. It's all, it's all <laughs> dog-related. It's not like... Yeah, but there's stuff there that's not everywhere else, so it's kind of whatever. Plus, the podcast has its own, working underscore dog underscore radio. We run contests and um, announcements for shows and all that kind of stuff on there, but yeah, that's the easiest easiest way to get a hold of us. Um, Yeah, and then uh, HRD, we just announced a new, um, it's already full, Uh, December we're going to be in Michigan uh, Oakley County, Michigan. Um, it's full already 30 handlers. So, but we're going to be there. So if you're one of the 30, we'll see you then. And I assume Michigan in the wintertime is probably going to be nice and warm hoodie weather. Uh, and then, uh, for those listening hits was canceled this year. Um, actually it wasn't canceled. I should rephrase that hits was moved to Scottsdale in July of uh, 2021. So if you were planning on going, it's not happening this year because of Corona apocalypse. And uh, they moved it to July 6th through the 9th, if I remember right. Um, It should have been in the the, uh, mid-roll commercials that everybody should be listening to. But uh, in the meantime, they have a fantastic podcast with um, all the presenters. Eric and I will still be presenting next year. Um, As of now, um, Blue Line and... um, uh, Revo 3 are still happening this year, so we'll still be in uh, Pittsburgh and we'll still be in Gettysburg doing the um, HRD Dog and Pony Roadshow with scenario-based training. But, yeah. Um, Evan, this has been a fucking awesome episode. I'm glad you came on and I'm glad we got to nail you down. Um, yeah, thanks for so, having, me, uh, having me on your sweet podcast. Yeah, we appreciate it, man. Um, Eric, don't get the Rona before you come to Chicago next week. So... <laughs> <laughs> I will do my
2: best. <laughs> Don't lick my. I have honest. a fever over the weekend. I'm not coming. Uh,
0: understandable. Yeah. If not, then I will see you Sunday. Uh, so yeah, everybody else, thank you, Evan. Thanks again, man. I appreciate it.
2: Uh, thanks, guys. Thanks. Our oldest sponsor, our first sponsor, and our good friend and a great dude all around, Arno at ALM Canine Equipment. Uh, his suits and his canine tugs and bite sleeves are. Some of the best in the industry. His, dude, I have a whole array of different uh, hidden sleeves from him of all various levels of dogs. Uh, he has a discount code for us, which is amazing. WD Radio for 10% off your first order. ALMK9Equipment.com. Give him a, give him a shout, man. Arno is a good guy with great quality equipment. ALMK9Equipment.com.
0: One of the original three. Sponsors that have been with us from the beginning is Tripwire Operations Group, LLC. They're an internationally recognized leading provider of products, services, and training for federal, state, local, and law enforcement agencies, and military units. They are ATF licensed for explosive material manufacturer, importer, exporter, and dealer with a wide range of explosive products to offer, including custom kits. These kits are great for detection canine imprinting, and they have three different kits to choose from. These three kits combined create the complete picture for the explosive threats of canines. Be sure to check him out, tripwireops.org. The music in this episode is used with permission by Brother Deeg. Be sure to check him out at brotherdeeg. That's spelled dot enet Be sure to check him out there or on iTunes, Amazon, CD Baby, or anywhere you stream media. This episode has been edited and co-produced by Alicia Brandt. Visit our other sites at Patreon.com, look for Working Dog Radio, HRDPoliceK9.com, and look for the nearest seminar near you.